Greetings, this is David Thompson from the Fraser Valley in British Columbia with a message to all those that are hungry and thirsty for reality, for ultimate meaning and purpose and destiny in your lives. For those of you that are new, I want to point you to my flip book, which is on my website at ultimatemeaning.com. That is very original writing by the gifting of the Spirit of God through me with a lot of original understanding and insights that answers many hard questions. And you will find that much of the print is highlighted in red, which are links to very profound and amazing YouTube videos that highly verify from many fields of science and archaeology the reality of what I share in these messages. And what I am sharing about is the good news that you can discover and enter in to a destiny of ever-enlarging pleasures beyond your comprehension of fulfillment that are in relation to fellowship with God, the one true eternal God who is the very source of love and of reality, who is the very perfection and manifestation of love. And yes, God is great enough that he can communicate with his creation. He is so great that he can come down to this little speck of a planet and not only communicate with man, but have such great love that he would humble himself more than you, a mere creature, and suffer more than you, a mere creature, as he did in Jesus Christ, who is the full expression of the being of God to man. As it says in Hebrews 1.3, he is the full expression of God the Father. And yes, we don't believe in three gods. There is only one God. And for God to be God, he must rule in the three ultimate aspects of existence, which are beyond creation as the Father, beyond time and space and creation, in personage, simultaneously in personage, within the creation realm, the full expression of the Father. The word Son means expression. The only begotten Son of God, Jesus Christ, communicating with man in the creation realm. And the other aspect, the third aspect of existence, omnipresence, the Spirit of God, filling and attached to all particles of existence within the creation realm in every dimension, including all dimensions of time and space and beyond with the Father. And God could only be God if he was in those three personages to, to be able to do that for you must be in personage, obviously, to rule in those three ultimate aspects of existence. So I want to share with people today how I share these messages. It's already five minutes, and yet it's important for me to share how I share these messages. The Word of God says in 1 Peter 5.11, If any man speak, let him speak as the oracles of God. So I will seek to allow God, by his Spirit, to speak through me beyond myself. <clears throat> this is further explained and understood in Revelations 19.10 that says, 
Worship God for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. When we worship God with great reverence and humility out of a pure heart of love, in spirit and in truth, we are filled with the spirit of God, those that know God, in an overflow beyond ourselves that results in creative utterances coming out of our mouth that are words that are prophetic. Yes, it is out of a heart set and a mindset of worship that there is prophetic utterance. And so I will seek to speak as the oracles of God or prophetically by speaking this message out of a heart set and mindset of worship with very little preparation. So what I do to facilitate doing that is I cast lots to get two chapters from the Bible, the possibility of any two chapters with two independent random applications. So I cast lots of the first application. And I get a chapter. I do it with great reverence so that God is in it and so that the chapter that is chosen is ordained of God. And then I do it with a second application to get a second chapter that would bear witness as to the theme between those two chapters and how consistent it also is that it connects to the message the day before. This, this is far beyond coincidence. It's obviously the hand of God that is in this. And so I want to share with you the two chapters I received today and I only meditate on them a half an hour and then I preach. Sometimes after I've had my meal and a nap, that's the case today. And before I do that, I also cast lots to get a hymn. And I did that today. I don't know how that hymn fits. I don't know what I'm going to share. I'm just going to be in a heart set and mindset of worship and speak what God by his spirit would be saying and is saying to the churches in this crucial hour when the world is so dark and the epicenter is in the epicenter is in the United States where the election's been stolen over and over where COVID mandates have been forced upon the people resulting in multitudes of people dying that have had two or more vaccinations according to some top highly skilled statisticians that have looked at the statistics from various governments around the world oh over 20 million people have now died that have had two or more vaccinations we're living in a very grave time when it's very obvious that those that are in power are corrupt in the United States and are deliberately seeking to destroy the United States and the Constitution. And the only secret that's going to turn it back, the, the root issue that is so important to save the United States and this world from tyranny is that we turn back to God as never before. And this message is to awaken the churches throughout the world. That they can no longer continue to have church as they always have. When you assemble together as a congregation, why are you not fulfilling 1 Peter 4.11 that says, when any, if any man speak, let him speak as the oracles of God. In the early church, everyone had total freedom to let the Spirit of God move through them in whatever gift came forth. And they sought to speak prophetically as the oracles of God. We need to turn back. 
to allow that and to facilitate that because people have been so used to being passive and letting everything being done by a few people at the front. There's no time for playing church. Forget your pre-service prayer meetings. You should be making the church service a prayer meeting where you start the service on your face before God and become more conscious of Christ in your midst and being in the presence of God than some program at the front. It is time to make God's house a house of prayer and a house of holiness. So I want to share with you, first of all, and we're going to sing the song that was received by the casting of Lot before God. And that's very scriptural, by the way. Proverbs 16, 33 says, the casting of the Lot and the whole disposing thereof is of the Lord, extensively practiced by the pre-church scriptures that we read, or the church, the church before Christ with Israel and so on, by Joshua, Solomon, King David, Moses, extensively used the casting of the lot. The early church did to choose the apostle to take the place of Judas. Powerful movements of revival, like the Moravians, used lots to even choose their own wives. But it's done with great reverence and respect, and I'm not telling you you should be doing it. If you do it and you have sin in your life and you do it with disrespect, then you will fall into the air of divination. I am here to share with you, first of all, this song that we will sing together, taken by the casting of light. And there are always very good songs that have the words on them so that you can go to my playlist at loverealize.com where you can use that worship list to play if you can play YouTube videos on the projector because all these songs are songs from YouTube videos with the words displayed on them. So this is the song out of 1,257 songs that I cast lot on that I got today. So here we go.
wonderful. <clears throat> Indeed, I see in those words so many things that will be borne out in this message about denying ourselves, about aligning with God's purpose, and so on. So today, I received, and I'm just uh, adjusting things here for a moment, I received, by the casting of Lot, Matthew 11 and 2 Kings 25. Now, sometimes the themes are more evident. Certainly, I see the theme between these two chapters, and we'll point that out to you. The common theme between Matthew 11 and 2 Kings 25 is the consequences of refusing to repent because of a stubbornness to cleave to the loves of this life over loving God. This violent stubbornness is contrasted with Matthew eleven twelve, which reads, And from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffereth violence, and the violent take it by force. But many people have a violent stubbornness for the loves of the world. The results in them being seized with a violent overthrow and great suffering and death as a nation and also as individuals. The same holds true. And that is seen in 2 Kings 25, the other chapter. Also in Matthew 11, there is an offspring from the previous message yesterday, which begins in verse 28 to 30, where it says, Come unto me, all ye that labor, and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Yesterday we spake, I spoke by the Spirit of God in Isaiah 55, 1-2. And there we read, Ho, every one that thirsteth, come ye to the waters. He that hath no money, come ye buy and eat. Yea, come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Wherefore do you spend your money for that which is not bread? You see, a stubbornness to pursue the temporal things of this life, and your labor for that which satisfieth not. Hearken diligently, diligently unto me, and eat ye that which is good, and let your soul delight itself in fatness. And so I want to now turn to Matthew chapter 11 and to continue to share from this passage on what God is saying today by the casting of a lot from the word of God. And so we'll turn to Matthew chapter 11 here and begin to read that chapter here at this point. <clears throat> and we begin to read, And it came to pass when Jesus had made an end of commanding his twelve disciples, he departed thence to teach and to preach in their cities. Now when John had heard in prison the works of Christ, he sent two of his disciples and said unto him, Art thou he that should come, or do we look for another? Jesus answered and said unto them, 
Go and show John again those things which you do hear and see. The blind receive their sight and the lame walk, and the lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear, and the dead are raised up, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. And blessed is he whosoever shall not be offended in me. And believe me, the Lord said many things that could offend one's sophistication, intelligence, like, you must eat of my blood and drink of my flesh or you have no life in you. How in the world, in the in normal reasoning and natural understanding and intellect, are you going to receive that without being offended out of the pride of your intelligence? Blessed is he whosoever shall not be offended in me. And as they departed, Jesus began to say unto the multitudes concerning John, What went ye out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? Are you wanting to see someone that is so strange that it entertains you? But what went ye out for to see? A man clothed in soft raiment? Behold, are you coming out to see some major noble? Is that what's motivating you? People gather to see the kings because they're just dressed in such wonder and delight. How many people today and people gather on the in crowds to be entertained by weirdness, crazy things? Or if it's not that, by something that is so vain and so temporal that is a lying vanity. The Word of God says in Jonah, they that observe lying vanities forsake their own mercy. But what went ye out for to see? A prophet, yea, I say unto you, more than a prophet. For this is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before thy face, which shall prepare thy way before thee. Verily I say unto you, among them that are born of women, there hath not risen a greater than John the Baptist notwithstanding he that is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. That is because in heaven love is the common factor. And when love is the common factor as it is in the kingdom of heaven, I mean in heaven where it is really heaven beyond anything of the comprehension of this world, and I can say that with quite a bit of understanding because I have just finished publishing a book recently, which you can get on Amazon called Afterlife, Incredible, Irrefutable by David James Thompson. 367 pages in print. Believe me, it is a realm that is so beyond this very inferior physical realm. Even your spiritual body is far superior by far than your physical body that you have in this physical realm. And I don't want to get sidetracked too much talking about all of this. But in that realm, you feel things very physically, just like you do in this realm. You can feel your feet hitting the ground and running, but far more with, with intelligence in your feet and more feeling in your feet. You can eat fruit from the tree and feel the juice running off your cheeks. 
course, when you eat the fruit there, it immediately, the fruit replaces it instantly. And that fruit permeates your whole body and issues out with beautiful fragrance and energy in worship unto God. Far more fulfilling and the taste far greater than anything you can feel and experience in the physical dimension. And the same is true of hell, where people are torn apart by demons in some cases and then reconstituted to repeat the process over and over without end, or burned alive and then brought back from ashes to repeat the process over. I don't want to emphasize and dwell on that, obviously. What I'm emphasizing here is this love, this common denominator, what they all say that are genuine Christians that have experienced heaven in detail when they were dead, such as Dean Braxton, for almost two hours. They all say that, or there's others like Dale Brack or Randy Kay and many others, Betty Cohn and so on. They say, that it is love, the love of God that is causing the energy and the light and the beauty and the intelligence in the plants and in the trees that communicate with you. It is love that is emanating and causing the emanation and the intelligence and the communication of everything that is so creative and ever enlarging in creativity. In fellowship with God and with his creation that worships the one true God, which in the Hebrew literally is Yahweh, meaning the ultimate reality, and behind that is love that is causing that reality. And the second word, in English it's Lord God, the word for God is Elohim, which means the Almighty's one, referring to the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. But there's this love, and this love causes the king, to delight to polish the janitor's shoes. And in the kingdom of heaven, there is varying degrees of brightness and glory that emanate from people in their garments that are clothings of light that, when you look at it, tells you the whole story of the trials and tribulations they've gone through that, that has wrought this conformity to the being of God's love to shine at that level of brightness. So the one with the great brightness comes to the one that maybe doesn't have that great brightness and, as it were, polishes their shoes. So Christ says here, he that is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than John. And he goes on to say, and from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffereth violence and the violent take it by force. Now, this can be interpreted two ways. First of all, I'm going to interpret it in the positive way. It is saying here that there are people that are so desirous of the kingdom of heaven that they are willing to pay any price as it were to be violent to seize it by force because the prize is worth it all. They're willing to give up their reputation if they're in some high position that people look up to them. 
and go in the water and be baptized by John the Baptist so that they are despised by those authorities like the Pharisees and so on. They are willing to pay the price to go through trial and affliction to seize upon knowing an inheritance of fellowship and love and joy in communion with God rather than having a life of mere temporal physical fulfillments that will never last for long. And this is contrasted, as I mentioned earlier, with 2 Kings 25. And there in 2 Kings 25, I should explain that that is an account of King Nebuchadnezzar seizing Jerusalem, surrounding it for a year and approximately a year and a half. It was under siege with forts and so on. And then it was broken up. The city was broken up. And so the seizing of that city by force is kind of a contrast to this verse here. That God will allow things to happen in the lives of those, especially that are his people, that refuse to repent and will continue to live a life that is lukewarm and bury their head in the sand when all these things are happening around them in the world. He will allow to seize upon them the violent that will bring them to great suffering and torment, and in many cases, to an early grave. As Christ said, if the branch doesn't abide in me and it continues not to abide, well, at first we'll try to dung it to get it to bear fruit, to get it to abide, but if it doesn't, that tree doesn't abide, bear fruit, then it is cast forth and burned in the fire. The word of God says, as you have received Christ Jesus, the Lord, so walk you in. But if you forget what God has done in your life, as it says in 2 Peter is at chapter 1, that if we lack these things, diligence to pursue the kingdom of God, and we add in our walk with God various virtues as are described there in 2 Peter, that it means we're blind and cannot see afar off and have forgotten that we are purged from their old sin. It's like Israel that forgot that God did such a wonderful miracle in causing them to cross through the Red Sea and be delivered from the bondage of the world represented in Egypt and the Egyptian army that pursued them. They forgot so quickly and started to murmur and complain in the wilderness instead of saying, God, if you did that there, we're going to thank you and praise you regardless. You know, there's a scripture that I really learned a lesson on recently in this regard. Christ said, if my words abide in you and you abide in me, you shall ask what ye will and it shall be done unto you. I learned when I went to Costco's, I've been helping a lady that's very poor and has mental deficiencies, although in some ways she's quite intelligent and she is a friend, but I won't go into that. Not someone I'm in love with or want to marry, but um, she, I'm still single. 
she um I dropped her off at Costco and I wanted to go in there too, of course. I couldn't find a parking spot and I'm going around in circles and circles. And I'm saying, God, so many times you've answered prayer in my life right away when I've asked for a parking spot. What's going on? What's wrong? Is there sin in my life? And then I knew there wasn't that. And, and I started to get angry at God, of which I hadn't for a long time. I said, God, why are you? You know, I was flying off the handle. And then I began to realize that verse, what it really meant. If God's word is really abiding in me and I in him, it's an unconditional relationship wherein everything we give thanks, whether we see the manifestation of that answer immediately or not. And so we learn not to panic, but that our strength is in being still before God. It's hard to be still when you have to endure things and it seems that everything's against you and even God is against you when he actually isn't. He's just testing you as he did the children of Israel in the wilderness. And we're forgetting how many times he's answered our prayers like he did to the children of Israel. And God is calling us to be those that will come into such a relationship where we will so cleave onto him that we will seize the kingdom. We will seize the prize and it will be because we've learned an unconditional abiding relationship with God. So that we can say with Job, or with Jeremiah, though he slay me, yet will I trust him, or with Christ, who also, in essence, said, though he slay me, yet will I trust him. And when he was on the cross, he never ceased from being God. He experienced the forsaking of God's presence, but his trust was a selfless trust in God the Father, not a fist of rebellion. And he said, into thy hands I commend my spirit. And God is wanting us to know a trust in him because he will bring resurrection out of our dying to self that may result in a situation where it seems like he is going against us and not answering our prayers. I want to continue on in Matthew 11. I can see I can end up preaching here for a long time. For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John, and if ye will receive it, this is Elias, which was for to come. Or in other words, if you can receive this, John the Baptist is basically equivalent to Elijah, which was foretold would come before the coming of the Almighty. And so this is the Elijah preparing the way for Christ, the first return. And there's Elijah's going to prepare a way for Christ at his second return. There's the two prophets in Revelation that rise from the dead just before the return of Christ where he returns with the saints upon the Mount of Olives and the Mount of Olives splits in half and we know all about that and again I have something written in my book on that about a Jewish lad that died and saw all of this even though he didn't know it was in the scripture because he was not someone that was acquainted much with the scripture, but he was interviewed by these Orthodox Jews and their congregation and discovered in the process of what he saw when he died, which he saw the Lord returning and the Mount of Olives, he saw the two prophets, he probably didn't know about that either, 
He describes all of that and how Israel will resist these armies for two days before they are overthrown. Anyhow, that's another topic. We go to verse 16 here. And Christ goes on to say that this generation is unwilling to be those that are wise. And maybe I should skip that because I can see the message is getting very long. But they're always not wanting to respond to the ways of God. But those who really know God are wise and do not fall in to the trap of those things that are a sieve to sift out those that are wise from those that are not. And so we read here, But whereunto shall I liken this generation? It is like unto children sitting in the markets and calling unto their fellows and saying, We have piped unto you, and ye have not danced. We have mourned unto you, and ye have not lamented. For John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say he hath a devil. The son of man came eating and drinking, and they say, Behold, a gluttonous. Behold, a man gluttonous and a wine-bibber, a friend of publicans and sinners. But wisdom is justified of her children. The children of God have wisdom because those that really know God can discern between what is of God and what is not of God. They don't just judge by outward appearance. Many believers today do judge by outward appearance. And they don't look at the heart. And so you can go into a congregation and if you don't fit into the mold of that denomination, oh, they might say they love you to your face, but you can feel inside that they're giving you the cold shoulder and that they feel uneasy around you because you have different views than them or because of the way you dress. And it can be many other things. But where there is love, a multitude of sins are covered. Christ commands us to receive one another as he received us as sinners. To look at the heart of those that are truly, their heart, they may be messed up, but maybe their heart is in the right place, and they're wanting God in their lives. Are we going to throw them out because they're still messed up, deceived, or are we going to seek to bring healing to them? Christ came to live and to eat with publicans and sinners. And the last part of this chapter emphasizes again in Matthew 11 what was so emphasized in the last few messages from the casting of Lot, and that is repentance. And so it Christ turns then after this frustration with the fact that the people of God are rejecting the kingdom of God, either in judgments of accusing him of being a glutton, glutton or on the other hand, of John the Baptist being a, uh, an extremist, you might say, or something like that. Or, and they, so they say, oh, he has a devil because he's always so sober and... and Serious. Doesn't mean he doesn't have joy. I'm sure John the Baptist had much of that. And another thing I want to say about John the Baptist is I know a lot of people that put a lot of merit and look up very highly to people 
They claim to be prophets or claim to be apostles, and they may indeed reveal amazing gifts. But here we see John the Baptist that did no miracle, and he is greater than all the prophets. So let's not ever look at things by outward appearance and think, oh, because this person can give me this amazing word of knowledge, he must be so spiritual and close to God. No, there's very different gifts. John the Baptist had a gift of preaching the word of God with powerful anointing, but he didn't do miracles in many of these other things. Spirituality is not judged by outward appearance. It is the fruits of the Spirit that are important. And it is the emanation of God's presence that you can sense coming out of someone. So here we read, Christ turns and he says this, Woe unto you, unto thee, Chorazin, woe unto thee, Bethsaida, for if the mighty works which were done in you had been done in Tyre and Zidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I say unto you, it shall be more tolerable for Tyre and Zidon at the day of judgment than for you. And thou, Capernaum, which art exalted unto heaven, shall be brought down to hell. For if the mighty works which have been done in thee had been done in Sodom, it would have remained until this day. That's amazing. But I say unto you that it shall be more tolerable for the land of Sodom in the day of judgment than for thee. Wow. Sodom was not as wicked as these cities because they held the truth and unrighteousness as described in Romans chapter 1. Which leads to great apostasy. To the perversion, to sexual perversion. To all kinds of weirdness, which is now manifested as never before. The wheat and the terrors have become more evident than ever before that we are in a battle between good and evil in this hour. What God is calling us to be is those that have the genuine fear of God. And so he says here, after making those judgments at that time, Jesus answered and said, I thank thee, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because thou hast hid these things from the wise and prudent, those that are proud in their own intellect and knowledge, and has revealed them unto babes. Even so, Father, for so it seemed good in thy sight. Reminds me of the verse in Psalms. I've forgotten exactly where it is. I think it might be. No, I, I can't remember where it is, but it's somewhere. It might be Psalm 103 or something like that. I don't know for sure. But there King David describes himself as being someone from the womb, as a child sucking from his mother's breast. And that he is not proud or haughty, but is humble like a child sucking from his mother's breast. Which is also emphasized in Isaiah 28, where it says here a little and there a little, describing it as a child sucking from his mother's breast. And then it repeats it here a little and there a little, and describes it as those that have become merely religious. And it says there, so they read the word, here a little, there a little, repeating it over and over, that they might fall and stumble and be taken in the snare of their own self-righteousness, basically, is what it's saying. 
God is calling his people to return to the genuine fear of God, where there's great humility in the house of God and reverence. He's calling his house to become a house of prayer. He's calling people to repent of the loves of the world. How many people are just filled spending hours calling themselves Christians, and they spend hours watching sports as if it's nothing, as if we can just live that way and enjoy the prides of this life like that. And the amusements, the gods of amusement, spend hours in that with your emotions and never hardly spend any time in prayer. I'm not making a rule that it's a sin to watch sports. That would be putting you under the letter of the law. What I'm saying is that these things have become idols. And many times I've heard pastors in church services talking about the hockey game and all that in the midst of a time of meeting with God. All that does is stumble people to spend their time instead of seeking God, wasting their time and not redeeming the time as the word of God commands us to do because the days are evil. If you want the extra oil in your lamps, if you want to fall into a love relationship with God that is wholehearted, that is lavish, that is abundant in the flow of fellowship and life with God and with others, you need to repent of these things. And come back to him and change your priorities. And the church needs to repent. And I have a book on the internet called Godheadship and Body Invasion. You can get it on Amazon. It's about 200, if I remember right, some 270 some odd pages. Uh, covers the seven ones of Ephesians, tongues in detail, many things. But the main thing is covering is how to not limit the fullness of the headship of Christ in your assemblies and suggestions of even the best times for meetings. Like, for example, starting a meeting at two o'clock and letting it last for four hours instead of two short meetings where you don't break through as much. People have to be in a mad rush early in the morning to go to church. They need time to prepare in their own devotional life before they come to the service. I mean, that's just an example. Many suggestions, not rules that you must do it this way, but things to suggest that will not limit the fullness of the headship of Christ from inhabiting the assembly. A total new order in the body of Christ. Thank you for listening to this message. Support me in prayer by possibly purchasing those books. Because right now, my circumstances are such that someone should have, certain peoples didn't give me $93,000, but of an inheritance. And I'm in great debt because of my own lack of wisdom in the past. And so I'm praying I can get out of this and use resources to begin to see that churches are established and planted and a strategy is here to take each town and city in our nation with a powerful return of the church to being what is nothing less than the pure, awakened, conquering bride church of Jesus Christ that he wants in local assemblies. Part of that is to call all the churches together to fast and pray for three days in your town and city and never go back after that to the same order of a church service, but become those that have an order 
that is in submission to the headship of Christ that allows his fullness to inhabit your assembly. God bless you and thank you for listening to this message.